from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States. This is program number 16 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create more meaningful experiences for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and contact lenses and glasses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind and two-sighted parents who have a blind child and blind parents with sighted children and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, research to make it easier and safer for us to cross busy intersections how to prevent skiing eye injuries, blind skateboarding, a correction, how to go on a cruise and come home without gaining weight, and how to housebreak a horse, well, a guide horse. I'm standing on the corner of 8th Street in Grand Avenue, near my home in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Pretty challenging street to cross during daylight hours for someone who is blind or has limited sight because there's 1,800 cars an hour between me and the other side of the street. But it might get easier here and it busy intersections all over the world someday because of research underway a thousand miles away at the University of Minnesota where they're developing an app and software to let us know when it's okay to cross busy intersections and a whole lot more information about those intersections. The trip across the street will start with a smartphone app before you even step off the curb or walk down the curb cut. A user can use the phone as a pointer to point to any direction and do a single tap on the smartphone screen to get uh, a directional information. So if that direction is aligned with a crosswalk that, uh, I mean, uh, a direction with crosswalk that it will provide uh, audio feedback telling about what street that is and uh, how wide it is. For example, that you point to that direction and it's Washington Street, it tells you that you are pointing to Washington Street. Dr. Chen Fu Liel 
from the University of Minnesota's Center for Transportation Studies, working with the Minnesota Department of Transportation, is the guy in charge of the research. He says the phone will also display graphics. A small graphic on the screen that will allow people with low vision that they can still, the, still see the, um, the walk sign or that do not walk uh, red hand uh, on their phone. Um, yeah, if they have trouble or difficulty seeing the, the, the uh, pedestrian head signal on the other side of the street. The system uses two different kinds of technology to get the information to the app. The traffic lights control box collects data on traffic flow and when the light's about to turn into the walk light cycle. And that information is transferred through the internet to the cloud. The app receives that data from the cloud, which was originated across the street or if you're standing near the signal control box, right next to you. So that will uh, allow the device to receive that information. And uh, initially, if it's a, a do not cross, then basically it will tell the, uh, the users to wait. When the walk sign is on, that the phone will vibrate uh, briefly to alert uh, the users. And uh, they will be uh, followed by the audio voice telling that uh, walk sign is on and you have, for example, 20 seconds to cross the street, things like that. Uh, at the end of a walking phase, I think last five seconds, we also do a tactile vibrate and to alert the users that uh, they I mean, uh, better finish up and uh, the walk phase is going to end. The other technology is Bluetooth beacons. Transmitters about the size of a bottle cap that can transmit data and talk to apps. The reason that we use the beacon, it's kind of a, a geolocation purposes. With the smartphone GPS, it might be fine in kind of a, a rural or suburban area, knowing that where you are. However, in urban area, which most of the uh, people with vision impairment might live and here in the city area, with the skyscraper and uh, the GPS may put you on a different block or on the other side of the street so that you cannot solely just, re just rely on the GPS on the phone to identify where's the location of the, the pedestrian. Because it depends on which location, which corner of the intersection that the uh, user is requesting information, the information was going to be totally different. So we need to make sure that we are providing the right information to the user at the right location at the right time. So Beacon was this additional layer to make sure that uh, we can uh, precisely, uh, I mean, more accurately locate the users uh, when the corner of an, of an intersection. This means that someday we won't have to find the button that activates the walk light, which can be really hard to find when you're not familiar with the intersection. Dr. Leai says even with life-changing technology, it's important to learn and keep up with your white cane and guide dog traveling skills. Because when batteries die, even the best technology is useless.
You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Spring is just around the corner and there are plenty of outdoor sports we can all get involved in. But for many blind and visually impaired people, skateboarding isn't at the top of that list or on it at all. A team of visually impaired skateboarders are trying to make the sport more accessible. The tactile traveler's Jason Struther takes us up north to Calgary, Alberta, Canada for this story. Maybe you've been out for a walk and have heard something like this before. That sound from a skateboard park. These places come in all shapes and sizes. Some are flat concrete surfaces and others look like big empty swimming pools. But as Curtis Ruddle explains, these places all have features that skateboarders use to ride up and over on or fly through the air off of. Different ramps, uh, bowls, rails, stairs, all of these different obstacles. Curtis is 16 years old and is from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He has an eye condition that he says leaves him with little depth perception and only has about 10% of his vision. But that hasn't stopped him from taking off on his board. Curtis is founder of Alt Route, a grant-funded project that makes skateboard parks accessible for people with visual impairments. And to get more people with low or no vision on top of skateboards, he teamed up with his former instructor, Matthew Jans, who runs a local group called Skate Bats and is also legally blind. Me and Curtis are just a couple of skateboarders in Canada. You know, we just skateboard on curbs, but because, you know, you know, Curtis has such drive and because we both have such passion for movement and joy in sports, we, it, was pretty, it was actually pretty easy for us to find a way to do something that we love despite our vision loss. Skateboarding while blind is not new. Some people use canes or other audible indicators to ride down sidewalks or do tricks. But Curtis says Alt Route does something different. We have kind of taken it to a different level per se. So we have taken different things like high contrast and high visibility duct tape to create guidelines or transition markers because some of our uh, participants could only see five or six feet in front of them. And it, that means you can't see on the other side of the park. You can't see if there's someone coming at you or if there's a ramp in the way, etc. So we would lay out a piece of tape and then that would be able to identify to that user that, oh, hey, if I follow this line, I'm going to be safe. Videos on Alt Route's Instagram account show the team laying down strips of high contrast yellow and white tape. The tape acts like a trail along the flat surface of the skate park and then onto a small ramp. One video shows a girl riding a board up that incline before flying a couple feet through the air. Don't worry, everyone is wearing helmets. Curtis says Alt Route also uses tactile and LED light strips, which are kind of like electric braille for visually impaired skateboarders. You're able to lay them down wherever, and then that's very beneficial because you're able to change the color with most of them or change how bright they are, change sequences, different things like that. So they're very, very customizable which is very beneficial because different people have very different needs. 
The skateboard park modifications are designed mainly for people with some vision. But Matthew says he's also taught kids that are totally blind. One kid particularly, um, he didn't even know that he was in a... When we brought him in, he didn't even know he was in a skate park because, of course, he has no vision. And so I had to teach him before he even touched the skateboard. I, I took him around. I just walked around to the skate park with him, showing him the ramps. So we just walked up and down the ramps. Um, I showed him the inside, of, like the bottom of the half pipe in the bowl, and he could walk and feel the curved ramp heading upwards. He could just feel that under underfoot. And then after that, I took him and I taught him how to get on the board and push it and move around just on flat ground. So then after that, after he got a little more comfortable with how a board works and what a skate park is, I, I helped him. I, I ran beside him holding his hand, and we just went up and down a few small, really small, easy-to-manage ramps. And then in just one afternoon, I had uh, a completely blind kid starting to get used to the idea of what skateboarding is. Matthew says the kid loved it, but his mom was maybe even more enthused. His mom just wants him to have a very full life and to experience lots of things despite having no vision. And so his mom was super excited that there was a program. There, was, there were people out there in this world that were willing to teach him how to skateboard. <laughs> so far, Alt Route has only modified one skateboard park in Calgary, and that was just temporary. Curtis says they learned a lot from that experience, and not having a fixed location allows them to be more flexible. We have the ability to adapt anything, really, as much as we can. Does this work? Does that work? Where does it work? All of these different questions that we're having to answer, right? Or more importantly, what doesn't work? <laughs> that too. It's all still experimental. Curtis says they still have a lot of high-contrast tape left over, so Alt-Route is ready to make many more skateboard parks accessible. Jason, you mentioned that Alt-Route only adapted one skate park in Calgary. What's next for them? Right, Nick. That project just took place last November, but Alt-Route does want to expand and maybe even one day have their own permanent location. But of course, that will require more funding. Jason, how can people contact Matthew and Curtis? Sure, Nick. Probably the best way to reach out to the guys is through their website or social media accounts. The Alt Route or Route website is www.altroute.ca. It's in Canada. And their Instagram account as well as YouTube account is under the name alt route projects all one word thank you jason you're listening to the tactile traveler empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way i'm nick eisenberg we have two corrections for program 15 both my mistakes the lady who has a guide horse in delmar new york is an ed and on story number three when using an iphone if you'd like to turn voice over on or off while you're on a call do a three finger double tap if you're not on a call you can also do a three finger double tap or say hey siri turn on voice over okay i turned voice over on or hey siri turn off voice over Okay, 
I turned voiceover off. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. I'm very fortunate and have been on a number of cruises. And I cruised with someone who has figured out how to solve the biggest problem facing cruise passengers. How to go on a cruise without gaining weight, even on two and three week long cruises. People gain weight on cruises because they may be fairly inactive and they get all they can eat at every meal, between meals, at midnight buffets and midnight dessert bars. It's hard for people like me who love tasting new kinds of food. For example, if I can't decide which soup to try at lunch or dinner, the server will happily bring me both, along with any other item on the meal, including desserts. All is part of the price of the cruise. But with all those temptations, we still arrive home exactly or just a pound or so more than when we left. When my wife and I were still together, she had a really good idea when we were getting on a ship. Let's not use the elevators. Most cruise ships are big, like 14 decks high, and you're always going up and down lots of flights. On one cruise, our stateroom was so low on the ship, waves washed over the windows. It was great. It was like being on a glass bottom boat, but the health club that we used every day was on the 14th deck. And most of the places where we spent most of our time, just a deck or two below. And since we had to go back and forth, we worked off the extra calorie as we ate them. Walking up all those stairs isn't as hard as it might seem after you've done it once or twice, because you can always stop and catch your breath. But making the commitment can be, and the first step is really the hardest, because when you first step on the ship, you're probably schlepping heavy carry-on luggage. The solution? One person goes up in the elevator with the luggage and gets off on the floor where your stateroom is and guards the luggage and waits for the other person to arrive by stairs. Then the guard goes back on the elevator to the deck where you got on the ship and then walks up the stairs to your floor and suitcases and meets you there. We only had to use elevators twice since Joan came up with the idea. Once was when we did a back-of-the-ship tour. There were about 15 people in the group, and we had to go up or down 10 or 12 levels at a time with the group. It would have been inconsiderate to make them wait for us. The tour was really interesting. We went backstage in the theater crew quarters through the kitchen that prepares about 15,000 meals a day. And everywhere from the engine room 
to the bridge where they operate the ship. I highly recommend the tour. The other time we were forced to use the elevator was just run-of-the-mill discrimination against blind people. We were assembling in groups to go on shore excursions. That's like when you do something like go snorkeling or visit a museum. As soon as one of the organizers spotted my white canes and sunglasses, they made me use an elevator to go down just one flight of stairs to the gangplank. I argued with them to no avail. We didn't gain any weight on either of those trips. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. On program 15, we talked about guide horses, miniature horses that can be trained to do everything a guide dog can do, but for three to four times longer because of their 30 to 40 year lifespan. Mona Ramoni has a guide horse and its daughter, which she also trained as a guide horse. That's waiting to be placed. The advantage of guide horses over guide dogs is that they live much longer. The disadvantage, they have to go to the bathroom every two to three hours. So Mona has figured out a way so she doesn't have to get up three or four times a night to take care of her horses who live in her utility room at night. Well, most of the time they're outside, but at night usually you can use a litter box and that's what a lot of people do. So you use a kiddie pool as a litter box, you know, one of those little toy kit, one of those kids pools, and then you put some uh, shavings in it, just, just enough. And that solves that. But before Mona goes to bed, she has her horses go to the bathroom in a wastebasket lined with a plastic bag. Add some shavings to the bottom, and then she knows to back up to the wastebasket and go pee and poop in there. Then the bag goes into the trash. Mona loves her guide horse, but she doesn't think they're for everyone. But for some people, they can be a guide animal that helps them for years and years. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Send us an email to thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler 
at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are available for our deaf listeners by searching The Tactile Traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine, wherever you get podcasts, and by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that help make this program possible. Be My Eyes, Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, the Microsoft Disabilities Answer Desk, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Michael McCarthy, Tim Harlow, Jason Herring, Paula Froome, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. You've been listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.